You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, it's my joy to introduce to you Charles, (laughs) cheerful Chuck Kennedy, flew all the way from Northwest United States, Ryderwood, Washington. And uh, it's, it's always a joy when, whenever Chuck is in the neighborhood, he's always got an open invitation to come and to share what the Lord's doing in his heart, life, and ministry out there as he pastors the Ryderwood Community Church. And uh, it's with great joy that we have him with us today. I'm excited. It's, it's going to be good. He's got his Ohio State preaching socks on. So <laughs> that was his parting gift from Deb and I as, as, he left, as he left to take on the pastorate. Chuck was a pastor here for several years, and uh, we're just delighted to have him come and share the word of the Lord with us. God bless you, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, for those of you who don't know me, I, uh, I attended this church for quite some time, and I was ordained in this church uh, three years ago last September. So if you think it's too late to get started, I'm 68. I got ordained when I was 65. So uh, you haven't reached your peak yet. You're just, start, you're just warming up. You know, Mike, his, that set of songs is amazing. And what you don't realize is most of this was dictated on Mount Rainier. And he sang this song about a mountain. And I just thought that was so interesting. So... Uh, thanks, Mike. So I, I love anything that has to do with miracles. And so that's what I've chosen this time. You know, one of the great, great miracles in the book of John is the feeding of the 5,000. But there's another sign that's wrapped up in that picture that's really quite profound. It's a sign that happens immediately after that. Jesus walks on water. You thought that, okay, you fed 5,000. What can you top that one with? So he decides to walk on water. So I'm going to use it from John telling the story. He's the last one to write about it. And it's interesting because both Mark and Matthew have written accounts of Jesus walking on water. Um, Then we have Luke, Mark, and Matthew with a previous example of them being on water with a storm coming up and Jesus sleeping in the boat. They think they're going to drown. This is interesting. Uh, What you have to look at, though, storms at sea, especially at night, are almost indicators every single time of the presence of evil at work. It, and I am one that kind of disagrees with the concept that Jesus started this storm to test them. But I fully agree that Jesus will use what the enemy gives them to test them and build their strength and build their faith. And I, this is a perfect example of this. So when you study this, you actually have to hold both John's and Mark's accounts side by side as you read it. The reason is John wrote his afterwards and fills in the spots that Mark left out, but then he leaves out the parts that Mark covered. And it's very interesting because John is going to tell it from the perspective of the apostles. Mark is going to tell it from the perspective of Jesus. And so it's like this intertwined. It's just a beautiful passage. So together they really form an interesting jigsaw puzzle. But So let's look at John chapter... Six. I just happened to, uh, when I 
When I typed these up, I don't even know which Bible verse I'm using. I have to go back later and find it. it was, I, so I used NASB here. So it's John 6, chapter, uh, verse 15 through 17 is what we're going to start with. So it says, So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and make him by, make, take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to a mountain by himself alone. This is after he's fed the 5,000. The crowd is rushing him to try to make him king. So it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. After getting into a boat, they started across the sea to Capernaum. It, already, it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So we're going to have the forces of evil. Now, understand this. They're seeing this opportunity. Jesus is a rock star now. He is, the, he's, they're rushing to him. He, and all the apostles are like, we're his posse. We're cool, too. We hang with Jesus. We're stars too. And so Jesus sees this. And saw, so he saw that desire for them to become celebrity. But then it says, they just hopped into a boat and left. And that makes no sense, does it? What are you talking about? Now we go to Mark. So we read Mark, chapter 6 in Mark. Now this is 45 and 46. It says, immediately, I love Mark. Everything's immediately, quickly, suddenly, so when you read Mark, you just feel like you're in an adventure movie. I mean, that, that, it's clearly written that way. You know, Peter is just that way. So, all right, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, which is, that, that's just outside of Capernaum. So the two are basically saying the same place. All right, while he's sending the crowd away, after bidding them farewell, he left the crowd to pray in the mountain. So they get in the boat because Jesus ordered them to. Now that makes sense. But it's, it's, it's even more interesting, the verb tense was they didn't want to get in the boat and he's ordering them. He's saying like, get in the boat now. You know, and they're like, stop looking at me, get in the boat. Get, you know. So he, because he recognizes this danger. If they get trapped into this celebrity thing, then they can't function the way they need to. Have we ever heard of, I doubt you ever have, a pastor that became celebrity, got too big for his britches and something fell apart? Jesus is get showing us, don't let that happen. So anytime Rick gets too big for his britches, you say, Rick, get in the boat. <laughs> so, sorry, you're gonna hear that a lot, aren't you? <laughs> All right, let's return to John 17. After getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come. The, sin, the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Real quick, so you understand what's going on. The Sea of Galilee is shaped like Africa, sort of. And so they were, they were going to go north from Tiberias to Capernaum. So they're cutting around like the western lobe of Africa, going to the north. Okay, so so it says, but as soon as they separate from Jesus, get the, understand this, as soon as they separate from Jesus and they begin to row, unnatural forces start to stir. Keep that in mind. Anytime you're separated from Jesus, you will have a stir of unnatural forces surround you. And that's what happened. So the powers of chaos and darkness form this headwind, and it begun, begins to struggle. 
Understand though, evil holds them in place. They can't go forward, but they're not getting blown backward. They're not going back to the original shore. Evil's holding them in one spot, and they can't move. And so then out of nowhere, verse 19, Jesus shows up. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. They cannot recognize who it is walking on the water and became afraid. Boy, this is important. This is a common condition, a really common condition, that when people become emotionally unstable, fearful, or lack hope, or go into a sense of hopelessness, you no longer can recognize Jesus. Have we seen different places in the Bible that they could not recognize him? Each place, they were in a, a terrible emotional state on the road to, to Emmaus. They were, they were saying life is hopeless. Mary can't recognize Jesus. She's weeping. What have they done with my master? We do this, and it's important to, to see that, that that picture has happened here. So now let's go back to, Mar to Mark, verse 47. When it was evening... The boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by, but when, he saw, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for, all, for they all saw him and were terrified. So Jesus is on the mountain. Ties into Mount Rainier, by the way. Jesus is on the mountain. He sees everything. He's watching everything. He's watching this unfold. And then he comes off the mountain to them when they're tiring. And it says between roughly 3 and 6 in the morning is when he finally comes down. They were stuck at sea for quite some time in the middle of the storm. He saw the enemy had him in their grips. And he comes out from the mountaintop. He rushes to their aid, and they mistake him for a ghost. Do you understand this? Fear and faith cannot dwell in the same heart. One takes power over the other. And so the fear did not let them see Jesus. Fear stopped a critical moment for them. I, I'm going to tell you why in a second. Something dramatic was lost to them. And it says in verse 45, he intended to pass by them. In the Greek, it's identical to the, to the Septuagint version of Exodus, of Jesus passing by Moses to reveal himself to them. And he said he intended to, but he stopped because they did not recognize him. I, say, I, I honestly have to tell you, I have to wonder. When I read that, I, I, that's what made me pause. That's what made me wonder. Where have in my life has Jesus intended to show himself, manifest himself, be with me in a very special way in a time where I was in either grief or fear or in, in a bad place? And he said, I better not. He doesn't even know I'm here. And let that moment slip away. I, I look at that and I see that right here. And it, it shocks me. Because these guys have just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and a couple fish. He's the one that said, get in the boat. They didn't do this on their own. They should have known that they were in a safe place as soon as Jesus says that. 
If Jesus told you to get on an airplane and suddenly the, the oxygen things dropped, you go, we're all going to die. No, you're going to say, Jesus told me to get on this plane. We're okay. See, and that's why they couldn't recognize him. Actually, I have a prophetic word that I'm going to be pastoring in, in Washington for 10, for 10 years. I think you told me 10 years. So I'm sitting there thinking, every time I get on a plane now, I'm good. <laughs> Fasten my seatbelt. <laughs> you know, so I'm just joking, but it's... See, what happens, though, is when your arms begin to burn, when your back begins to ache, when, when you're, the pain for maybe your illness is taking over, all these things start to happen. You scream at ghosts. You start screaming at, at, at when God comes, you scream instead of going, thank goodness. And sometimes the gift that God wants to give you frightens you. And so we have to sometimes go back to who we are in Christ. This is really important. Look at John 6, 20. I'm going to do it right together with Mark 6, 50. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Mark goes, but immediately, of course, Mark, he spoke to them, take courage. It is I. Emego, ego. It is I. That's what Jesus said, or, or God said at the burning bush. He said, that's my name. Now, he's saying this, proclaiming it. Who's he proclaiming it to? Every being that can hear him. Immediately now, what happens? They hear that it is I, and they, it says they received him in the boat. Doesn't say he just got in the boat. Doesn't say they said, hey, come on into the boat. This is a very special word. They have received him into the boat. This is very intimate. This is bringing him in. They're receiving him. When they receive Christ, when we receive the Holy Spirit who's knocking on our door, when we, when we receive that gift, then things change. I, that's really kind of a startling phrase. They were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land. Jesus was willing. This is the perfect love of Jesus being received into our presence, and the storm ended. But did Jesus calm the storm? No, he, what he did was he raised their faith in the storm, and the storm ended. When our faith is, is lifted up, our storms can end. Because at some point, we have to believe in the ability for God to to save us in our situation more than the situation can destroy us. At some point, one of the two have to be changed. I know I, I, my, the community I, I serve are all elderly. It's an elderly community. And I have, our, my prayer list time is longer than our worship time. And I'm not joking. And we fervently pray for people. But we come to the place where we say, God's healing power is greater than that sickness's power to cripple you. And so we have to have more faith in God than we do the disease. And so this is what has happened here. 
Jesus has raised their faith that they have more faith in Jesus than they have in that storm. And the storm is over, and now they're on land. This is an important moment in this story. Jesus has established a covenant to bring us into his presence. Do you understand the depth of this covenant? Because it goes another step. We're allowed to invite Jesus into our presence, just like we did here earlier. So not only can we step into his throne room, we can ask him to, be, to bring the throne room to us. And when we, we, we have that intimate relationship with God, so strong that we are, don't get me wrong, when the presence of the Lord comes, you do step back sometimes because it's awesome. You kind of freeze a little bit. And you say to yourself, oh my goodness, I wasn't expecting this. I was, I was hoping for a tingle in my foot or something, and, and now my whole body's about to shake. This is, a, this, is what he, this is why he went to the cross, is so he could do this with us. This is such an important moment. See, he didn't come to show them he was God. He came to show them that they were righteous in his eyes. He came to show them that they were his children. He came to show them who they are in Christ at three in the morning when the enemy is whispering in their ear that's when he came so we have to see this it's not he didn't do this to say I'm more powerful I'm 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 well who else walks on water you know he's got to be an all-powerful but what he's saying is I'm going to do things a new way I'm going to do it the unlaw I made this up the unlaw. See, they were under the law of, of the Torah. He says, you're going to be under the unlaw now. Remember I've mentioned, before, if you've been here with me before, I mentioned that the Torah is not a judicial law as much as it is a, a way of life law. It's like, like the law of nature. So if I drop this, gravity, that's one of the laws. So if you get on top of the building and jump off, yes, the, the, you broke the law of nature. Whack. So this is what he's doing. So he's doing the unlaw by walking on water. He's showing them this is not natural. You, no one else is doing this. You don't see a lot of guys running around on the ocean. So he, what he wants you to do is get that picture that when you're at your worst, at your most weary moment in your life, can you imagine that you're clean? You're forgiven. You're righteous before God. And when you finally realize you don't have enough, that's when you're just primed to be, have everything you need. When you say, I've got nothing left, sometimes that's when Jesus hears us the loudest. And then he comes walking on water. He won't come to you to find your faults. He won't come to you to point out your sins. He's going to come to you as a father and just love you to death and bring you out. Satan wants to throw that old law into your face. He wants you to say, it can't happen. And he's coming to you to say, nope, you're in the unlaw. He comes down from a mountain, not to tell them they were damned, but to say, it is I.
is me. Do you remember with what probably the most poignant place in the Bible is Mary crying in the garden. And Jesus says, Mary. And everything is undone. That's what this moment is for them. It's Jesus saying, that's his name. It's, it's, it's me, Bob the God. And they're set back again. You know, you need to repeat. Sometimes you have to repeat that over and over again. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Sometimes that needs to be happening. I, I don't know where you are in any situation in your life, but if you're, if, if you've, if you're fighting it, say, I won't be afraid. God is with me to whatever will hear me. And you know what? The evil that was stirring up that storm found out who was with them and left. But also the faith, your faith will get will rise and become active. You know, when something's bad happening to you, that's not God punishing you. You're under attack. God can can do law-defying things and slip you into the unlaw of life in the supernatural. And then help you out of it. Look at those as golden opportunities to have your faith rise to a new level that you may have never had before. You know, I mentioned I'm hiking Mount Rainier. I don't like heights. And I look down and go, this can't be good. Do not be afraid. <laughs> I am with you. You better get a better grip on me. I don't feel you pulling me this way. But... Yeah, yeah. I'm, actually, I make this sound like I was a great mountain climber. I must tell you, I got to Camp, uh, Camp Muir, which is uh, at about 10,000 feet, and the altitude got me. I just about passed out. So uh, it wasn't. So it was when I was semi-conscious that I wrote this. So you know, what the law asks every time is why. You ever notice that? Whenever we're in a worldly state, we ask why. Why me? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? And Jesus is telling you the who and the what. What will Jesus do? He'll comfort you. What will Jesus do? He'll die on the cross for you. What will he do? He'll stand by your side even when all hell breaks loose and never leave you. And then he'll love you more than you love your sin. Even when you doubt him. And if you think it's impossible, he walks on water. So, you know, joy comes from knowing who God will be for us no matter what. If you're starting to see your joy slip away, if you're feeling weak, don't grumble and say, okay, I'm going to do this. Just accept the joy that Jesus wants you to receive and receive him. Receive Christ. You know, when I was preparing this message, I told Rick this. I, I had a, I had a real feeling that there, there was mem there were members here that kind of feel stuck. You're not moving forward. You're not going backward. You're just kind of feeling like you're being held, and you're kind of, it feels like your faith is kind of getting a little dry. 
and you're going through one of those seasons, you're running into difficulty, if you've had a sense of unease or dread or dryness, raise your hand if you've had it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna ask for the Holy Spirit to come. You felt, if you're feeling any kind of uneasiness, any kind of dread, any kind of dryness, I call it dryness, where you read the gospel and you're reading the words, but you, nothing is happening, your heart just sitting there going, I've read that before. And, how, and, and, and all of us have been through that. Certain ones you never do that, maybe. You don't read Psalm 100 and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what praise all the time. Anyway, here's what we're going to do. We're going to clear the path first. All, as we've heard this message, every single one of us, I believe, has been through this kind of situation. And our first reaction may have been, this really sucks. And what am I going to do now? And I bet you called somebody else. Your car is all blown up. And now you're calling, Rick, do you know someone who works on cars? You're calling this guy. You know, have you ever thought to pray to God first? And he goes, I created a guy that fixes cars. And he'll allow that incredible intersection happen where this total stranger go, oh, yeah, that's probably such and such. That's easy to fix. I do that all the time. You do? I just had this happen. It's, it, God does this. So let's first, let's first start to re, let's repent a second. To say, Lord, we have not always gone to you first. We ask you, Lord, to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to see you first in everything. We want you to be first in our finances, first in our health, first in our relationships with ourselves, our families, our kids, everyone. You, we go to first. You are my Google. I go to you first, God, and I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to Jesus. Now let's receive the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Those of us that are going through a dry season, Ask Jesus just to come to you gently and just give you one revelation, one moment. Point one person, point to one person I should be speaking to about you that will take me from dry to a wet, fertile land. Who do I have to talk to, Jesus? awaken that which is in me already. If my health has got me nervous, if I'm feeling I'm, I'm worried about tests, I'm worried about lab reports, I'm worried, worried about we ask you, Lord, come to us. Know that you are greater than any virus, cancer, disease, that you are greater And not only that, you, you are the person of peace. 
Your peace will now enter and settle and reside and dwell in us to the point that, yes, I see the circumstances that are around me, but I know God's here. And he's going to calmly, slowly give me direction and give me a path. And that path may be the most weirdest path I've ever taken in my life. We ask for this, Jesus. We're going to stay very quiet for a while. Spirit's on Bob right now. Linda, Jesus is telling you that your circumstances are indeed complicated. God understands complications understands things that every day that you're, you're facing. He's saying, find my face every day. Look into the face that you believe is your struggle and find Jesus' face in that face. And then you're already smiling. You know exactly what he's talking about. He's revealing that to you now. Someone, I, I think, has gone through a little period of, does this really make sense? Am I playing mental gymnastics to make the Bible work? You know, and, and the Holy Spirit wants to touch you. Really wants to touch you. Let that moment happen for you. Release yourself to him. And then find your verse in the Bible and read it again. And if you don't think you have a verse, we've talked about this one since I've been here before. If you don't think you have a verse, the next time you read the Bible and you stop for an unknown reason, you just pause for a second, that's your verse. Write that verse down and keep going back to it over and over and let that be your meditation, or as I call it, my cup of coffee verse. It'll bring you out of the dryness. Read some of the prayers of the Bible. You just read one today. Read the prayers in Ephesians, chapter 1, chapter 3, and let them just settle on you. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. If this long period of time of us just doing this feels awkward, perfect, you haven't ever been really quiet with the Lord before. That's a good time for it. For those that feel like this is a long period of doing a lot of nothing, I 
challenge you something Rick taught us. Pray for 10 minutes in absolute quiet for every day for 30 days. Time it. 10 minutes will seem like an eternity sometimes. And then, by the end of that month, 30 minutes will go by before you know what happened. So, so now, let's take our communion elements. Does it Everyone has different way of they approach communion. I want I approach this today as we're going we're going to approach communion as a new covenant. When Jesus was at the Last Supper, he talked about a new covenant, a new covenant in his body and in his blood. And so we're going to take communion today as a new covenant. We're saying, Jesus, today I say yes to the fullness of your new covenant, to the fullness of this, that you, God, took on a body, a body that was used as a sacrifice for, for this covenant so that our sins would be forgiven, so that our relationship is restored, and that our eternal destiny with you is sealed in, in Christ. So as we take the blood, we're saying yes to the, the incarnation of Christ, that, that he remains a human. He didn't shed his body. And so as I take this, I'm being reminded of the promise that I will have a glorified body in him because I will remain human with Christ, my brother, in heaven eternally. So what happened on that meal is what's happening to those apostles. It's now happening to us. This is why it was such a reverent time during that first century. Every time they met, they said, let's renew our wedding vows because we're going to be going to that great banquet in the sky. And every covenant is sealed with blood. Every covenant is sealed with blood, but this is unique. Jesus' blood is the, is the mediation for mankind. Jesus' blood is mediation for God. Perfect Jesus mediates both sides of this new covenant. It'll never fail. We will forever be in covenant with Christ because of his blood and the power of his blood has cleansed us. The last thing I'd like is to read one little passage as the, I assume the worship team is going to have a closing song. I'm going to just read one little passage as we close. It's from Isaiah. Isaiah 41. For whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. You are not cast off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.